All You Need to Know is brought to you by no one. No one at all. Welcome to All You Need to Know, the show where you hear about everything and learn about nothing. Here are your hosts, Quinn Eaton and DJ Pig. Welcome to this episode of All You Need to Know. My name is Quinn Eaton. The regular co-hosts are not here today. Instead, I have a good friend of mine, Matt Fitzgerald, filling in as the co-host for today's topic. Matt, welcome to All You Need to Know. What's going on, Quinn? Happy to be here, man. How does it feel to be a part of a mediocrely successful podcast? Does it feel... Like, is it an honor or is it a, does it feel like a charity work? Is, what is, <laughs> how does it feel? Hey man, anything I can uh, do to talk about movies, uh, I'm, I'm totally down and obviously we work together. So, uh, uh-huh. you know. And every year I write off all you need to know on my taxes. So feel free to mark this one off <laughs> and, and say, oh yeah, I, I did. I spent an hour doing this. So see if you can get some sort of deductible, but yeah. Uh, yeah, this is all you need to know, Matt. Um, very, it's a very casual conversation, and we're going to be talking about something that's definitely in your wheelhouse. That's why I'm very happy to bring you in for this one. And uh, yes, you kind of alluded to us, you know, getting to know each other and working together. We both work at Whiskey Riff. Uh, I guess you could call it the number one source for country music and sports and outdoors and uh whatever's happening in florida i seem to write a lot about (laughs) what people are doing in florida but if you wanted to talk about the whiskey riff connection or maybe a little bit of your background too uh go ahead i'll I'll give you the floor yeah sure so uh joined whiskey riff back in october had a little bit of a uh, public layoff situation with my former employer barstool sports and uh but you know uh because of that whole public Thing. That's how uh, I got on Whiskey Riff's radar and uh, having a blast working there so far. Yeah, like Quinn said, covering a lot of sports stuff. And uh, yeah, and then Quinn and I have kind of had a little bit of a mutual connection over our passion for movies and, and whatnot. So here I am. <laughs> and uh, we definitely message back and forth. If I need any information on Cincinnati Bengals uh, stuff, then you know, oh, yeah. you're the guy to talk to, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Barcel got to cover the Bengals uh, during that really fun season they had, reaching the AFC Championship game. Uh, had a blast doing that. Joe Burrow got hurt this year. Kind of a bummer, but he'll be back. I think it's going to be a Joe Burrow Vengeance Tour in 2024, oh, wow. so looking forward to it. I'm going to mark, I'm gonna mark that down because we're actually really bad with predictions here. We had a guy um, <laughs> a couple weeks before Dallas got uh eliminated from the postseason earlier this year that uh he's a dallas cowboys fan that was on said that this was the year and that they were going to win the super bowl which that's that's part of the delusion that i feel like dallas cowboys fans usually um, emit so it wasn't out of the norm but it was a moment that we actually went back to and played so if you end up being right then we'll celebrate it um if you end up being wrong then i won't even i won't even talk about it i won't even uh touch back on it but We're not talking about football today. We do have, uh, I think, a pretty interesting topic. And we've we've talked, all you need to know is covered movies from time to time, whether it be uh, one of the very first episodes that we did, we just talked about the movie Pulp Fiction. Um, We've also talked about some more uh, wide-ranging, encompassing topics where we just talk about movies. And so this one I'm actually excited about because 
we try to stay topical. And I do feel like this is kind of a moment where it seems like things are ramping back up for this industry. And so Matt and I are going to have a little bit of a back and forth about how we feel about movies, uh, the current state of cinema. I usually try not to say the topic name before we get to the topic transition, but that's what we're talking about today. And Matt, you're just a movie lover or you've always appreciated cinema. How, how does it come into play here where where you feel like you have the, the bona fides to, to discuss <laughs> movies in depth? Yeah, so always love movies. Uh, and, uh, you know, have a background working in sports, but I did make sort of a left turn and, uh, went to drama school, got my master's degree in acting from the actor studio drama school, very proud graduate of that program. Uh, probably the most prominent alumni is Bradley Cooper and, uh, Impressive. yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's great, great training, world-class, uh, teachers and, uh, you know, so uh, I'm eventually going to jump back into that arena, hopefully uh, in the next couple months, really. So, uh, but yeah, so the drama school gave me a whole appreciation for theater. Obviously, it was more of a theatrical acting training, but it only just deepened my appreciation more for storytelling, helped me understand the function of characters more and um, really appreciate the specificities and intricacies of the genre. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I want to congratulate you on all of that exciting stuff and also congratulate you on being the most qualified person that's ever been on this podcast. So uh, that 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 is an honor. I think uh, hopefully at least it lands that way. And I guess without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into today's topic. This is episode 302, The Current State of Cinema. All right, Matt. So we've got a number of things here on the docket that we want to get through. I'll do my best to keep us moving along because I do feel like sometimes whenever we do podcasts here at All You Need to Know, we are very niche and we we hone in on one thing and somehow stay on it for 35 minutes. I feel like some of these things that we're going to touch on, we could actually dedicate a lot of time to. Uh, but for the purpose of today's episode, we'll try to keep things moving as quickly as possible, but still be informative, which sometimes can be difficult, but I think we can handle it. So I, I think that the best place to start, because I was talking about how if we're being topical, uh, looking at the state of cinema in 2024, uh, I think a, a very easy place to start is a couple of years ago where one could argue that movies were on life support, right? Now, there was this thing that happened back in 2019, 2020, 2021. We won't name it specifically, of course, because that's one of the long running things that we have going here at, at All You Need to Know. We've never said it by name, but we all know what I'm talking about. And that was when we believe, or I think it's a very easy thing to put a pin in and say that's when the movies almost died. It expedited. It seemed like a transition from theater going to streaming. There were things that went to streaming and video on demand more often than it went to the theaters. Uh, and then there was maybe a moment that kind of feels like it, it brought people back to the movies, but we won't get to that just yet. I kind of want to hear what your thoughts are on that whole period, because there are certain people like yourself who, who and, and I, I too, I'm, a, I'm more of a casual movie uh, fan, but there are a lot of people who were worried there for a little bit. Like, oh, the theater going experiences isn't going to be an option. 
Yeah, I think that thing you alluded to that affected the whole world uh, mm -hmm. definitely put a dent in, I guess, enthusiasm for the, for the theatrical experience because it was kind of a safety situation for a while there. Um, I remember going to see Tenet, the Christopher Nolan movie in 2020. That was one of the only movies to kind of release theatrically during that period. I, I, I saw it too. I think I was one of four people that was in, in yeah, the theater. Got had to mask up and all that uh -huh. sort of stuff, you yeah. know, because of that thing. And, uh, you know, and that sort of coincided with the whole proliferation of streaming and uh, the launch of Disney Plus, I believe, was just in 2019. And uh, HBO Max, formerly now just called Max for whatever uh -huh. reason, is uh, wasn't far behind. And Peacock was right in that window, too. So it was a lot of there, there was just a lot of that that fundamentally shifted the entire business of entertainment. Um, and what's interesting, too, is all these streaming companies had to kind of invest a lot out of the gate, not only to purchase rights to pre-existing uh, shows that are, you know, you know like bidding wars for South Park and the Big Bang mm -hmm. Theory and stuff like that, but then also investing a ton in original content so you're you're kind of just like going into the red for a long time before you see a profit and that kind of wonkifies the business model kind of wonkifies how you're trying to compensate writers and actors and creatives fairly and then you know the whole thing that happened they had mm -hmm. they had the theatrical releases on the heels of that and then they'd have these sometimes 30 days sometimes 45 day windows of theatrical release before they release it to streaming. And I just don't know how you can expect to, I don't know how all the streaming metrics work because they're very mysterious about all that at this moment. Yeah. But uh, I don't know how it's really hard, I think, to find a path to profitability that way because that if you can stream it for free, uh, digital sales aren't going to be as high. So, Yeah, and, and it's, it's really a no-brainer for people to say, oh, I have the option of sitting in my house and not paying more than I already am or driving however long to get to the nearest movie theater. And, you know, movie theaters have gotten a little bit better, it seems like, in recent years in the past decade where you've got recliners, you've got options for food and drink while you're watching. But the comfort of your own home is is always going to be different from going out to a movie theater. And so I, I don't see it, it. It hurt cinema so much because that was an option. I, I, I remember... I can't name any specifically off the top of my head, but I remember that was a legitimate thing. This movie's coming out on this streaming service, or you can go pay $20 to see it at your nearest movie theater. Like it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And you said all these streaming services were kind of burying uh, all this money into whether it was their own stuff or pre-existing brands and shows and well-known products and i i think apple is one of the the biggest ones that is just spending millions of dollars <laughs> and i think it's just because they have it like there there's no i don't even know if they have like profit margin meetings i think it's just like okay we spent <laughs> we spent how many million okay let's keep spending more of of that money that uh, we don't know what to do with but there have been some good things to come from it too which now we're i guess and i was even just thinking like even uh excluding the thing that happened back in 2020 and then you also had writer strikes and uh you know actor strikes here in the past year 2023 it seems like there haven't been like in in a period of four or five years there have been so many hindrances and obstacles that uh the movie industry uh, movie theaters anyone that's involved or adjacent to 
filmmaking has had to deal with. Um, but there was one man, Matt, that I believe kind of set everything back on track. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but we're we're big Tom Cruise fans at All You Need to Know. And one could argue, we, we talked about both of us going to see Tenet uh, during 2020. Uh, but there was that one movie that it seemed like everybody went back to the movies for, Top Gun Maverick. Did Tom Cruise save the movie single-handedly, your opinion? Well, it's, uh, I think he renewed, I think he gave renewed hope to the theatrical slash movie going experience. I mean, there's, there was that viral clip that went around of Steven Spielberg literally saying to Tom Cruise's face, you saved us basically. And, Mm -hmm. you know, look at the box office. I mean, I think it made one and a half billion dollars or something like that. I mean, there's no question that was a big event movie that drove a lot of audiences there. Um, and and the crazy thing is too, like Tom Cruise, when all this sort of like short sightedness was going on during the thing in 2020, and you know all the all the release scheduling and and uh, theatrical dates were getting pushed back and moved around and delayed uh, for obvious reasons, uh, they were initially just going to drop Top Gun Maverick on streaming, and he fought for it to be in a movie theater, uh, like tooth and nail. So mm-hmm. if he hadn't even done that, um, who knows where things would be at this point so um, that's that seems to support the the argument that he saved the movies <laughs> yeah, man i don't yeah, i don't mean sure. to speak for you but uh and i remember the trailer uh the trailer for that was phenomenal and then even with uh the writer's strike and and things like that affecting i think it's the most recent recent mission impossible movie uh yeah. i think there were some delays though with with the previous one but i remember i guess it, it was mission impossible uh the, the name Dead Reckoning, and it was originally part one of the Dead Reckoning two-part uh, movie uh, franchise, I guess, or however you want to put it. I remember seeing the trailer for Dead Reckoning part one, and I wrote an article for Whiskey Riff and broke down how many seconds of the trailer Tom Cruise was full sprint running and how that could <laughs> how could that possibly translate to the full movie? So I was ex- I was fully <laughs> expecting whenever I walked into the movies to see the most recent Mission Impossible that Tom Cruise was going to be running for an hour and twenty minutes. I think is the math that I ended up doing, and I would have been perfectly fine with that because there is a ratio. I don't know if you've seen that. The more that Tom Cruise runs, the better the movie does in the box office. It's oh it's really a, okay. Well, I know that Tom Cruise running is kind of a memeified yes, thing in its, its own right. Uh, it's interesting too because. You talk about some of the some of the strikes and delays and, and and some of the I think more the pandemic pushed that movie back. And actually it was that movie that was sort of the cutting edge sort of production that and I would probably say the Batman because uh, mm-hmm. they had to stop right in the middle of, of shooting. Uh, they had the they were sort of right on the cutting edge of getting all those protocols in place. And then there was that clip that came out of Tom Cruise like screaming Going, at one yeah. of the. You know, somebody on set for not following them and mm-hmm. uh, how important it was to kind of set the tone in that way for the entire industry. And then, you know, that Mission Impossible movie was quite good. I mean, I think it was a really tall task to top Fallout, and I don't think it quite got there, but it was still amazing, the whole motorcycle off the cliff and everything. I'm, I'm right there that, with you. Yep. That ended up releasing, like, a week or two, if memory serves, before the whole Barbenheimer thing, which was yeah. another another huge event that drove people out to theaters. So I think people want it. Uh, there's nothing quite like the movie going experience and, and sitting in a crowd full of strangers and experiencing a lot of the same 
things, but also yeah. taking a lot of your own interpretations from it. You just can't get that energy at home. I mean, we'll probably we can probably dive well, into that point. A little I was going to I was going to say on that note, um, other than that communal experience and then seeing Tom Cruise run on the big silver screen, what are some <laughs> things that you feel like get people to the movies? I think that's an interesting uh, question because it, it's kind of there's so many facets to it. I feel like. Um, I, I feel like maybe people wouldn't be as inclined to go see a movie if it's not special effects driven or if it's not big budget or if it's not a blockbuster tentpole, you know, uh, Marvel-ish or superhero something or other mm-hmm. uh, or or something, you know, as visually stunning as, say, a Top Gun Maverick uh, because it, they just figure, oh, well, I can just watch that when it streams or whatever because I don't really have to see that on the big screen, whereas something like dune i remember seeing dune and i max man oh my god that was yeah. incredible and uh that's just something like watching dune for the first time at home i don't think i would have gotten anywhere near the same experience there's just something about it it's so visceral uh so i think that uh tends to bring out people but it but it's also like every because of sort of the proliferation of streaming and and how uh, tied to our phones we are these days every everybody is so sort of insulated and everything that you're looking at on your screen, on your phone, or in your YouTube feed or whatever is are is catered to, uh, is designed to cater to your like pre-existing interests. So it's harder to kind of go out of your way to see something in a movie theater that you wouldn't otherwise see that's not already kind of in your worldview or in your sort of vision. Right. But then you get a situation where it's like Barbenheimer or uh, Top Gun Maverick, like word of mouth. And then people get like FOMO and they're like, okay, I I need to go see it. And it's, you can't really like replicate that too many times, but Mm -hmm. I think that plays a part. And I think some of the, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, that'll be all for that point. Well, (laughs) I know I I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to stop you or anything because you were on a roll and everything that you were saying was right. Like, and speaking on the Barbenheimer thing, I personally didn't do the double feature in a day. I don't know if you, did you participate in both movies on at once or. Did you see? Him I separately? did. I, okay. I did the so. So here's part of the thing too. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people are aware, but and not this is like a free plug or anything. I'm not being uh, uh, forced to say this, but AMC <laughs> has a thing called A List where you pay like twenty five dollars a month or something like that, yep. and uh, you get to see up to three movies a week. Now it's like you don't even have to use that. You can see two movies a month, and that kind that of pays for itself yeah. with the ticket costs. And they don't discriminate between like IMAX or uh, Dolby uh, extra kick sound yeah. or just standard releases. So it's to me, that's like, that's a steal as a, as an avid movie goer. It's like, yeah, like no sign brainer. me up for that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I get so that, that kind of, yeah. And what you but, were saying oh, is, sorry. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. If you want no, to keep yeah, going. The, no, it's okay. I gotta... was just going to say, so, so long story short, I did do the Barbenheimer double yeah. feature saw Oppenheimer first. Um, and I got a little confused because the, the black and white versus the color stuff. I thought it was kind of like Memento where it was like right. Christopher Nolan's other movie where mm-hmm. it's like flashbacks and flash forwards, depending on if it's color or black and white. But it just turned out to be like objective or subjective uh, from an Oppenheimer's perspective. And so I was a little lost, to be honest, but it, I still thought it was really good. So um, then you walked into Barbie watch... and then you yeah. just, and I was like, I'll read about that later. I'm going to go watch Margot Robbie <laughs> and Ryan Gosling as Barbie. So that's the perfect I, I figured... I the figured the order. second the second leg was Barbie. It was the lighter of the mm-hmm. two, and you know it, was, it just made sense to do it that way. But what you said earlier is that it's some sometimes if you see a movie that comes out, you're going to say, 
okay, I'm going to go see that, or I can wait for that one to come to streaming. Uh, and I, right. I did not participate in Barbenheimer. I saw Oppenheimer in theaters and then waited for Barbie to come around on Max and and watched it and really enjoyed it. And, you know, if, if we're speaking on what gets people to go to the movies, uh, Oppenheimer seemed like it was just like a cinematic experience. I don't know how else to describe it. It just felt like I needed to go see that one in theaters versus Barbie. Um, I, I Whenever I saw it, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm a big Ryan Gosling fan going back to La La Land and the other guy or not the other guys, but uh, the, the one nice that, guys, the nice guys. Yes. Um, yeah. I've always been a fan of, of his stuff. Um, so I thought he did great. I thought Margot Robbie was great. The whole thing was was fantastic. I do. I wish that I would have seen it in in theaters. You know, like there is that possibility. And of course, to be a part of the phenomenon and have seen both movies at the same time. Uh, but then, you know, they're just like the the Barbie movie that I waited for. The, we'll talk about Marvel later, but this last Marvel movie, The Marvels, that came out, I said, you know, I'm okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait until it comes out on uh, Disney Plus, and I did and watched it, and it was okay. Like sometimes you feel uh, vindicated, I guess. You're like, okay, I'm glad that I didn't go see the movie at the theater. Whereas other times, like you, if you were talking about Dune, that seems like one that you would want to go see uh, on the big screen. But we've talked about what gets people to go to the movies. What do you think keeps people from going? And personally, the first thing that that comes up to uh, in my mind is one of the last times I was at the movies, I sat next to someone that took their shoes off, and I don't have I don't have control <laughs> of that person in the public theater. Uh, whereas if I was in the comfort of my own home, no stranger is going to come sit right next to me and pop their shoes off, and you know, you know, just kind of a hygiene thing for me. I I, I was I. I wasn't able to focus on the movie as much because I was making sure that the feet stayed far enough away from me that I wasn't disturbed <laughs> totally. But other than maybe people people not caring about other people's uh, personal space uh, and whether or not their feet smell, what what are some other hindrances <laughs> that you see about movie going? Well, I think I spoke on a lot of it already. Um, and in some ways... Uh, you know, you touched on Marvel and I was talking earlier about the superhero genre and how that kind of tends to dominate. And, and I will say, just to add something on that, which will dovetail into this next point about why people don't go. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say another movie that brought people out even before Top, Top Gun Maverick was Spider-Man No Way Home, man. Yeah. I mean, that was that was a huge I mean, people were it was like a rock concert. I went like opening I was there. day yep. afternoon. So everybody there like knew it was up and then when the reveals happened it was just crazy but i was looking at like the domestic box office of 2021 it's spider-man no way home shang chi venom black widow fast yep. nine eternals like that's all basically marvel or marvel adjacent if you depending on what you see venom as because mm -hmm. sony's own little offshoot we'll get into that later yeah. maybe <laughs> um but yeah so i think some of the problem with people not going is to these like bigger budget things is maybe they're not keeping up with the latest Marvel stuff or the latest DC stuff or, or what have you, because they're kind of, they're kind of over it because DC kind of botched their whole thing. They're rebooting everything right now with Superman legacy and James Gunn. And uh, with Marvel, there's been kind of a mixed bag. I would say I would, you know, generally it's been not as favorable uh, to the public. Uh, yeah. And, and general opinion. And people are saying it's basically a soft reboot with the new Deadpool and Wolverine movie that's coming this summer. So, right. Like, so, so, but I would say another huge, huge factor, and I don't think there's any 
real turning back from this, unfortunately, unless we can scheme up something here and come up with something. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. If if a movie on Rotten Tomatoes, you know that they can put the embargo on it. But if you put the embargo on it too long for reviews before they're released to the general public, that's that looks like a that's yeah. a bad look. So you know that means it's probably not going to be good. But um, you know they lifted the embargo on Eternals early, and that ended up being a much more critically mixed uh, movie than Marvel thought, and it lost a lot of money. But like, yeah, anything anything on Rotten Tomatoes it doesn't have to be superhero stuff. It doesn't have to be Marvel stuff. If you see something on Rotten Tomatoes and it's in like the 85 or 90 range and you don't really know what it is, like, okay, I'll give that a shot, maybe. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's in the, you know, splatty sub 60 yeah. uh, percent of critics liking it, then you're going to be a lot less inclined to go to the movie theater and see it, unfortunately. And, you know, I wish there was like a better way to kind of metric that out because, you know, if you look at the individual reviews, you might see a three out of five counted as a negative one in some in some you know pages for movies and then you might see a three out of five and another one counted as a positive or even within the same movie if there's a bunch of reviews on it so uh that's kind of a very convenient shortcut that a lot of people use and you know i'm a little guilty of it too like uh and and it's not like that's not always but the problem is that's not always the case right like that it's not always that oh if it has this score that means it's going to be like a bad movie or I won't like it. Um, and you can kind of keep an eye on the audience score versus the critic score too. But I think that's a big, I think that's a huge factor. I think you're, people like you're, seek you're that exactly out. right. Cause I've, I've been guilty of uh, scrolling on social media and seeing that, Oh, this new movie is getting bombed. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to go see it. Or, you know, if I'm on the fence, maybe Rotten Tomatoes makes the decision for me. And if more people seem to be enjoying it, I would be more inclined to go see it. Uh, versus if it was just getting horrible reviews, um, which there is there is a turning point to that too, as we've seen with the recent uh, Madam Web uh, movie that we can, <laughs> we can hopefully touch on here in, here in a little bit. But that movie is like so bad that people are like, okay, I've got to go see this. So it seems like if you can, if you're going to make a bad movie, you better just really botch it. That way, people are intrigued to see how bad it can really get. And and I think like as far as like why you go to the movies and and why you wouldn't go to the movies. I feel like we've, we've done a pretty good job covering that. One thing for me that's always been uh, intriguing is I think one of the reasons why people don't go is because it might be a situation where I don't want to go sit in a theater for three and a half hours. Like I, I want to be able to pause the movie. I want to be able to get up and go to the bathroom and not miss anything. And that is where this next part comes into play because there is a, it seems like a, a firm stance by some more traditional filmmakers who are saying, I'm going to make the movie as long as I want. And there is no situation where I'm going to break this up into different parts or make a limited series out of this idea. Um, I, I, I don't want to name anyone specifically because I don't want to get it wrong, but I do know that there have been uh, a number of people, maybe even, I, I think I don't want to be wrong, but Scorsese might've even said like, I'm going to make a movie. I'm not here to make a limited series. But when you, when you kind of look at it, uh, from a bird's eye view, if you were to tell something in a limited series, then you have, it feels like more room to explore a story. And instead of kind of limiting yourself to a three hour or two and a half hour window, you have maybe seven or eight one hour windows where you can really explore characters, uh, set plots, and then have huge payoffs towards the end. It feels like I know um, a big show right now that 
feels like it's it's really made a comeback as far as like you know maybe there were a couple seasons in between that didn't do great as true detective i've heard really good uh reviews about the latest season that's another situation where if you have more time to draw things out and explore characters and uh dive into the plot deeper i feel like people enjoy that and like i said they have the ability to consume it at their own pace whereas if if true detective came out and it was four hours i don't know if anybody's going to go to the movie and sign up for that unless the, unless there's an intermission or something yeah i think that traditional you know, sort of legendary filmmakers like Scorsese, like Killers of the Flower Moon, three and a half hours. I think it was what the running time was, give or take on that mm -hmm. movie. I think they recognize that the, you know, the movie going experience is, is on a bit of a decline and they're kind of fighting uh, as much as they can to preserve the sort of magic of that. And it's not, I don't think they have like sort of a, I don't think they're necessarily too precious or like not self-aware enough to recognize that that storytelling is, is changing rapidly yeah. and that maybe, maybe like you said, a limited series might be better, but this is just kind of the medium that they, they are. I think they kind of take pride in telling a self-contained story. And again, having that shared experience with an audience that you just don't get at home. Uh, I understand their resistance to it. And I think it's kind of a noble effort. Uh, even if, uh, you know, but it's but it's tough too because uh, we were talking about streamers investing in so much original content and kind of having sort of a uh, financial arms race to kind of uh, build up their library. Yeah, uh, they're getting they're getting guys like Ridley Scott to do Napoleon for Apple TV, or they're getting you know Scorsese just did that for Apple TV. Actually, it had a little Apple bit TV, of a yeah, just throwing release. just throwing but, money. Yeah, but you know, like uh, Bradley Cooper took his next his latest movie maestro straight to netflix um there's at least in terms of like movies versus limited series for, for movies if it's not like a big you know superhero property or pre-existing ip it's hard to get like the proper budget cleared and all that sort of stuff uh and yeah. meanwhile all these budgets are bloating over like 300 million dollars and they're losing a bazillion dollars at the box office and everything so that's kind of that something's got to change there, but like, I just feel like the creative freedom that some of the streamers give for these visionary filmmakers to tell their singular stories. Uh, I, I see why they're going that route with it, but it's also, they're really limiting their upside in terms of uh, releasing it to theaters and getting that sort of momentum uh, for again, the, the movie going experience, exactly. which, so it's kind of, it's a really sort of difficult dilemma. And I think the thing that happened in 2020 is still kind of having an effect on top of all the writers and actors strikes, uh, on sort of, there's just been this whole backlog of projects. And, and so I think it, it's going to, it's still going to take like a couple of years before we really see anything change yeah. meaningfully. And there are pros and cons, and you're talking about that momentum. Like sometimes just, you know, having a movie in theaters is huge and it creates a moment like we saw last summer with Barbie and Oppenheimer. And that wasn't even a, that was just an organic moment. It wasn't something that was calculated. Uh, so that was a really cool thing to see. And and now I think people are going to, or industry, the movie industry is going to say, how can we replicate that? It's not their choice to replicate it. It's just consumers and moviegoers that kind of have that power. But uh you know, having a movie in theaters 
can give it momentum. But then we've also seen where a limited series released on a weekly basis, you know, is creates a talking point for uh, months on end. So it is kind of a, a push and pull. And and honestly, it's a it seems like it's a hit or miss. Like sometimes you throw the dart and it hits. Sometimes you completely miss the board. And I think a lot of that has to do with what you were talking about, where things have to be familiar. There has to be existing IP that people are uh, comfortable with and are willing to go into. And the the thing with Barbie, that's existing IP that people are familiar enough with to see a, to go see a movie about it. Barbie does well. And then I think Mattel is like green lighting all of these other toy related movies. And it's like, okay, you know, pump the brakes, like make it another gonna... cinematic universe yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but those familiar names I think ha have been helping. And uh, then you also have uh, movie studios that you were talking about storytelling. And I know that you're a big fan of a 24 and what that movie studio is doing. Like, their, their version of storytelling, you feel like, is one of those things that is still powerful enough for people to go see it. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, gosh, man, I still remember. I mean, their biggest success to date is Everything Everywhere All at Once. And yeah. uh, I just, it's funny. I saw that they had a sort of a limited release. And then it uh, the thing happened wherever it, all this momentum and word of mouth and FOMO and all this stuff. Like, uh, then it ended up being this raging success, had a wide release. Obviously, cleaned up at the oscars which i was pleasantly mm -hmm. surprised about i think um, a lot of people but were. It's yeah it's interesting how i remember walking out of the theater seeing that movie and i like couldn't breathe like in a good way i was just like that was so overwhelming in the best way and that was really like fresh storytelling and you know and, and, and you didn't have to spend a bajillion dollars on the budget you didn't have to it was very like running gun sort of filmmaking and they had like maybe four special effects guys on the whole thing working on it and it's and just it's, it's an that's such a valuable, it's a valuable thing because you go into that theater and you have an idea of what the movie is about, but you don't know anything like you're going in. It's blank. You go out and you're blown away. That doesn't happen that much anymore because now a it's like, of... oh, I was blown away by the last one. Now I'm excited to see how they tied in with this one and then set up the next one. Like, it's nice just to see a movie like that where it just stands alone. Holy smokes. That's great. I've got to tell people about this. And then you go on to the next one. Right. And, you know, it's sort of toward the late 90s, early 2000s, there was sort of that golden age of, you know, stuff like Goodwill Hunting and Magnolia and just like all um, Boogie Nights. I'm just thinking of like PTA films, <laughs> but uh, but like they, they weren't like these bloated budget sort of things. And they were telling self-contained stories. You, you don't really see any of those mid budget uh, features at studios anymore. It's it's either really, really small budget, which I think a lot of people would uh serve themselves well to go back to i mean look what happened with get out that was like a five million dollar budget and exactly gross, yeah. like a bazillion dollars so uh you know th they they gotta sort of circle back to that mid-budget sweet spot somehow because then you can start turning profit then you can start taking more chances on some of these you know more original stories and uh you know but a24 is kind of just like chugging along and it's it's great I, I think it's great for the industry and um you know it should give a little more momentum to to that movement. And you mentioned the big budget type things. I mean, I feel like in the past 15 years, if you say big budget movie, you immediately think of all the superhero movies, especially Marvel that have come out and there for a while, it didn't matter what they did. They could just throw a bunch of movie, uh, throw a bunch of money at something, put it out and it did well. And now it seems like in the past five years that has kind of slowed down and they're having to be more careful. Of course, expanding the marvel cinematic universe into the shows on disney plus like 
some of those were actually really good, I thought. But then, like we touched on earlier, if people didn't see that, then they go see a movie and they feel like they missed something. Then they it's almost like an overwhelming right. feeling. I can't go see this new movie because I haven't seen the last one and I haven't watched the show that tied into that. So it does seem like Marvel is in a weird place. Superhero movies, I guess, in general. Um, and those have always had that power to get people in theater. So if that was to subside and, and all of these reboots and stuff didn't work, uh, is there anything out there besides that that could take superhero movies place? Or is this just kind of how cinema rolls on and, and evolves? Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily sustainable anymore. Yeah, uh, we're kind of seeing a lot of these movies crater at the box office and uh, you know, you just, something's got to change in that regard. And, you know, Marvel is kind of doubling down on some of the multiverse stuff and they're, you know, they're eventually going to have that big, uh, in a few years time, they're going to have that big crossover with the Avengers again. And the, they're planning two movies and, you know, I think those might be successful, like secret wars and whatever they end up right. doing with the main big bad villain. Um, you know, but, yeah, I, I I'll be really interested to see where it goes. I I really don't, uh, I really don't know where everything is headed necessarily in in terms of that, in terms of the business side and and what kind of projects that studios are going to greenlight moving forward. But I think superhero fatigue has perhaps kind of become a thing, and I think it's hitting people. and And I think the audience is kind of showing with the Barbenheimer stuff, with you know that they're those were you know. Oppenheimer's technically an ad adaptation. Like you said, Barbie's te technically like a pre-existing IP, but it, it was still like very original storytelling on a really, on a sort of blockbuster scale, but but not like just, you know, where the budget's just like through the freaking roof and, yeah. and, you know, it's not, yeah. So so I think that was that was huge. It's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where things go from here. Um, 10 seconds to describe Madam Web. Go ahead. Uh, awesomely bad, and I feel bad for the actors and the director who was probably <laughs> pushed around by the studio all over the place. Um, I would recommend seeing it just to just to kind of laugh, but I but I do feel bad for you know everybody involved because it's like there it was whatever Sony's doing with their live action stuff in that realm is has just been kind of rough. So sorry, yeah. that was more than ten seconds. It's okay. To be honest, the stuff that you've told me about Madam Web how bad it is like i mentioned earlier i do kind of want to go see it but i don't know I, I i i might make it to the theater to see it but there's a good chance that i won't and i guess that kind of ties back full circle with this whole conversation that we've had right so uh i feel like we've done the current state of cinema the the discussion around it justice uh and i do appreciate you giving your uh, expertise and knowledge on the subject because like i said probably by leaps and bounds, the most uh, qualified person that we've ever had to talk about a topic on all you need to know. Well, hey, man, you're really knowledgeable, too. And it was uh, it was fun chopping it up with you. And uh, yeah, I'd love to do it again sometime. But uh, yeah, no, I think we I think we covered some pretty decent ground here. I think so, too. And uh, you said that it is uh, in recording. So now I can ask you any time to come back on. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't matter what it is. So just be prepared for tons of texts and calls about coming back on. Uh, but thanks so much for taking some time to do this. Hope you enjoyed it. And to all the All You Need to Know listeners that uh, have been tuning in for a long time, hopefully Matt's going to uh, pop in from time to time and help out. So that would be that'd be great. And I think everybody would appreciate it. But that's going to do it for this episode of All You Need to Know. My name is Quinn Eaton. 
Matt Fitzgerald. <laughs> and this has been All You Need to Know. This has been All You Need to Know. If you have a topic you would like to hear about, message us on Twitter or Facebook or send us an email at all you need the number two no zero zero at gmail.com. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And tune in every Wednesday because here at AYN2K, we've got you covered.